Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Coming to you live from right here in Daytona Beach, Florida. Good to have everyone here today. If you're joining us for the very first time, uh, the Raven Institute is an online outreach ministry of Raven Ministries International. Raven is actually an acronym for Restoring a Vision and Evangelizing Nations. The heart of our ministry and everything that we do is what we consider the heart of Jesus, and that's to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And this is one means in which we do it to, to facilitate and equipping the saints for the work of the ministry and to be reaching out with the, the message of, of the Word of God and with the, 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 the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right here on this format, we've seen people uh, through this teaching actually come to Jesus. Just last week, I think of the young man, Sean, that, that God came in and did such a tremendous work in his life and uh, just believe in God to continue to bring deliverance to him. So we're here to, to lift up that standard of righteousness, to declare his, 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 uh, his name and his lordship and his kingdom and to to preach the acceptable year of the Lord without compromise and without wavering. And so thank you so much for joining us here. And uh, today we're going to be studying our 124th actually class in the book of Romans. We started last May in an expository teaching on the book of Romans and we are continuing on that. And today we're going to be in the 8th chapter and beginning with uh, verse 35. So if you can begin to, to tune there, uh, turn there. If you want to get more information on Raven Ministries, you can actually go to our website, which Deb has just put on the screen, which is www.biggrace.com B-I-G-G-R-A-C-E dot com and you can look throughout that website and find out things that we're doing. We're, we don't believe like uh, James once says that uh, uh, not just in being uh, hearers of the word, but in doers also. We believe that James gives us the instruction to do that. And what you'll find throughout the word of God is not just sitting somewhere behind the four walls or behind the stained glass windows talking about doing something, but we believe in actually going out there and putting our hand to the plow and uh, being movers and shakers and history makers for the kingdom of God. So that's why we're here, to equip the saints for the ministry, not just to fill your uh, your head with some more information or more knowledge, but to empower you and to put some tools in your belt to go out there and do the task of bringing people into the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're here for. If you have any questions uh, concerning Raven Ministries, you can actually email me at raven at biggrace.com, R-A-V-E-N at biggrace.com, and be glad to answer any questions. If you have any questions during the, the course of the live program, uh, please hold those off until after the, the, the hour of teaching, and I will stay and answer any of the questions that you might have. Or uh, at the end of the program, Deb will put up a telephone number where you can actually call in and talk to me personally uh, on any questions that you have regarding this teaching or uh, any other uh, biblical questions that we might be able to, to help you answer. We don't pretend to, to have all the answers, but we know who does. We know how to seek the, the Lord and go to his word and to pray and allow the spirit of God to lead us into all truth. And so thank you so much. Much for being with us, and those uh, the previous classes if you have been with us in the past, they are available on our blog site. You can go to Raven outreach.blogspot.com ravenoutreach.blogspot.com and we put these up in uh, mp3 format for you to download for your personal use or for whatever you want to uh, embed that into your website or whatever else. those things are free we freely receive we freely give there's no cost on any of those things also Deb's putting up there if you have a prayer request you can put that up at pray at biggrace.com, pray at biggrace.com, P-R-A-Y at B-I-G-G-R-A-C-E.com. Any prayer requests, we meet uh, on a regular basis and pray and intercede, and we're just seeing God do some tremendous things uh, through prayer because, once again, James tells us the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. And we believe that our prayers, because we love Jesus and we're walking with him, teaching his word and preaching without compromise, that our prayers and our faith are razor sharp. We believe that those things are cutting through and bringing 
answers and deliverance because of who Christ Jesus in and uh, is in us. So those website, biggrace.com, uh, for information about Raven, uh, Raven, uh, Outreach.blogspot.com is where you can get the downloads. Uh, if you need any questions, uh, Raven at BigGrace.com, or if you have prayer requests, pray at BigGrace.com. All that information is also right there on the website at BigGrace.com. So thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Let's ask for His blessing, His direction today, and uh, just believe Him for a great outpouring as He just gives us understanding of His Word. Father, we just thank You for this day. We just thank You for Your Son, Jesus, Lord God. Father, we thank You for what You are doing in our hearts hearts and lives today. We thank you for this opportunity just to come into your presence. Lord God, I, we, I count it such an honor, Lord God, and such, uh, such a privilege, Lord God, just to set before your word. I thank you, Lord God, that this isn't some empty word, Lord God, that was penned, Lord God, by just mere men. But Father, the word says that it's the inspired word of God. It's that theonoustos. It's that God-breathed word, Lord God, that was given to holy men of old, inspired, breathed upon by the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord God, that we're able to sit, Lord God, in front of the Word of God and to have your Word breathed into our hearts and lives, Lord God. And we want to inhale, Lord God, literally as we study the Word, the, the, the Word of God and the breath of God and the power of God to change and transform our lives. We want that, 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 that cleansing and that regeneration of the Word to be made evident in us. Lord God, we just ask, Lord God, in this year as we uh, prepare, Lord God, for another year of, of serving you and, and diligently seeking your face, Lord God, do a work in our hearts and lives. Lord God, we knew that we know that we need refinement as, 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 as much as we think Lord God sometimes we got a handle on it we know that the word teaches that the ways of a man are always pure in his own eyes but Lord God we don't want them to be our ways to be pure in our eyes we want our ways to be pure in your eyes and we know sometimes Lord God that takes refinement that takes chastening that takes us going through situations that aren't as comfortable Lord God as what we would probably like but Lord God we thank you Lord God that you chasten those that you love and that uh, one without chastening is like a bastard son, Lord God. We don't want to be like that. We want to. We want you to be our Father, and we want to be submitted, Lord God, to your will and to your hand of, of of chastening, Lord Jesus. So we ask you, Lord God, today to bring that correction, to bring that chastening in our into our lives through the Word of God, to bring that instruction in the ways of righteousness, Lord God. We want to be pleasing unto Jesus, and Lord God, we pray, Lord God, for those that have been sick in their bodies, Lord Jesus, that need a touch from the Lord. Uh, we just ask, Lord God, for healing, Lord God, whether it's just a simple cold, Lord God, or whether it's some type of terminal illness, Lord Jesus. We know that the blood is enough, that, that 2,000 years ago upon the cross that you bore our, our, our infirmities, Lord God, in your body. We're believing for that healing touch, Lord God. Those that are, need provision, Lord God, even for those doing outreach, Lord Jesus, that need provision, we just pray for the provision, Lord God, even for our outreach coming up in New Orleans here in the next few weeks. To, we're putting hundreds, Lord God, on the, on, the, on the battlefield to go out and preach the gospel to the lost and dying. We pray for that provision. Lord God, families that are struggling, Lord God, economically that we ask, Lord God, for your provision, Lord God, to come into their life. Lord God, I pray for Pastor Meredith as he and his wife and family prepare, Lord God, to the, the, the final stages of going to China, Lord God, to adopt this baby girl. I'm praying in Jesus' name, Father, that you'll just keep them and provide for them, Lord Jesus, that you'll do a work, Lord God, knowing that when they take care of your business, you take care of their business, Lord Jesus. So just bring that provision, Lord God, into Pastor Meredith and, and for uh, his family, Lord God, in Jesus' name as they just prepare to, to go and to, to get this child, Lord God, from this communist nation, Lord Jesus. And Father, we just thank you today. Just ask for you to bless this teaching of the word. I submit myself unto you, Lord God. And thank you, Lord God, that, that, that we're not only able, Lord God, but we're mighty, Lord God, through the pulling down of strongholds. We just ask in Jesus' name to be here, Lord God, anoint it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen, amen, and amen. Folks, listen, the, this, the eighth chapter of the book of Romans opens 
with what we've seen as really a familiar and powerful stanza of Scripture. And it started out as we started out a few weeks back, uh, that there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And, and what this that speaks of is the expected condition of one who walks in a repentant life. And that's really the key right there. You've got to walk in a repentant life. You know, some translations uh, uh, very do a devastating uh, 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 deed to this chapter, you know, some of the translations, like I think about the NIV, that uh, uh, leaves out that second part of that that says, after it says there's no condemnation, which those are in Christ Jesus, it leaves out who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Folks, really, that's the key to, to there being no condemnation. And so it, what it does, it, it speaks of a condition that the repentant individual that's walking in the Spirit should expect. And then it closes with five verses uh, of Scripture here in the 8th chapter that really further reveal how the believer should view God's side of the equation in regards to our salvation. And I want to read uh, verses uh, 35 through 29. 35 through 29 this morning to you. And, and we're going to uh, take some time to expound probably on, on all of those verses. I believe that we're going to probably be able to finish up Romans chapter 8 to, uh, this morning. And here's what it says. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And it says, uh, As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. It says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present nor things to come, neither height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, because these verses here are so familiar, uh, they are also many times uh, misinterpreted and taken completely out of their context. And and so, uh, uh, and really, in doing so, that they're, they're, they're they're, they're, they're thought to mean things that are, they're not meant to, and their familiarity really often robs uh, uh, from them the great truths that God desires to reveal in us. And so what I'm hoping today is we can get beyond our familiarity with these verses. Our, we sing the songs that contain these verses. We say these type of things. But I think sometimes, you know, we, we, there's the adage that familiarity uh, breeds contempt. And, you know, we, we become contemptuous. In other words, we're, we're at odds with it. And so because things are so familiar, we, we get the... Uh, the, the idea that we already understand what they're saying. And hopefully today, that at the very least, bring some context back to these verses so that you can discover just how much God has put into the process of reconciling us back to Himself and how we should rightly look at that extension of His work of redemption. And so I want to take that, that first... Really, it's kind of a question because it's, it's, it's a place with a question mark in the English. There's obviously no punctuation like that in the Greek, but the, uh, the, the tenses of those words provide us... Uh, uh, the kind of an interrogatory question. And it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Folks, really the primary thing that needs to be uh, seen both and really seen and understood here about this passage is that it's dealing with God's love towards us and not our love towards God. And so if you're writing notes today, you need to put that first portion of that verse is dealing with God's love towards us and not our love towards God. Uh, I, I believe many times that's kind of 
were the error that people fall into. They, they, they look at this and they, they just kind of lump those things together. But what you're going to see, I believe, as we study out these, uh, these uh, four or five passages of Scripture, that it's really going to be dealing with God's, the way God views us and how we, and rather than how we view God. And so, verse 35, though, you've got to look at that. And, and let me just give you the proof on that. It's still within the context of what we spoke of in verse 32. And if you weren't here for verse 32, you need to go back and get that class on that. It says that when it's, we talked about he spared not his own son. And so the context of verse 35 is within the context of verse 32 that says, God spared not his own son. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So that all really flows right together. And so what he is doing is he is establishing that it is God who has laid the groundwork and provided the access back to a right relationship with himself and that nothing can change or in any way alter God's side of things. Okay? That's what I want to say. That's what I want to tell you. What we're going to be looking at today is it's some things that will not alter God's way of looking at things. He said in, in Malachi 3, He said, I am the Lord God and I change not. We know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so what He's establishing, He's establishing His heart, He's establishing His viewpoint, His vantage point, He's established His love. And what we're going to see is it never changes. It never changes for the righteous. It never changes for the unrighteous. When it was penned in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. It meant that. That God loved the world. God loved His creation. But that is God's side of things. And so many have mistaken this verse literally to mean that once someone is saved that there is nothing that can be done to ever lose or threaten that salvation. And you see that's taught so many times, you know, uh, the, the doctrine of, of, of perseverance, they call it, that, that you know, once, or once saved, always saved, or unconditional eternal security. There's been a whole lot of terminology put, and this is one of the, the, the proof texts that they try, to, they attempt to use, but I think you're going to see. And the reason I say, say that is because at one time I erroneously believed that's that same concept. You know, I, I was raised up and taught in that uh, quote unquote once saved, always saved mentality, and so I, you know, I, that's all I knew, and that's what, what I'd heard. But what something happened, and I began to read the Bible, and I began to see in the Bible, the Bible just did not teach that what I had been taught. That this unconditional, that that I, this almost a fire insurance type of mentality. That once I made the prayer, that there's nothing. That immediately I lost my free will, and I became a robot. And uh, that there's there's nothing that I could diminish that. But as I just began to to read the Word myself, and the Holy Spirit began to reveal some some things to me, there was a conflict. I I saw that if had I picked up the Bible on my own and read through this canon of Scripture, that I would not have come to that conclusion that I could uh, come to Christ and do whatever I want to and still expect to walk in the benefits of salvation. I had to have been told that by somebody else because the Word of God, as we'll see, just does not teach that. And so, if you if you take a really an honest look at this passage, and you uh, and you'll see and, and, and you'll see that it clearly points to, uh, to the point Paul's trying to make. And you will see it's not making the, the 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 point concerning the security of the believer, but rather the unchanging nature of God Himself, regardless of circumstances, situations, or other things that might serve to dissuade us from that that the, uh, the, the anything that God is uh, uh, continually operating in. So He's going to be telling us, listen, God does not change. We're the ones that change. We're, we're the ones that make a decision whether or not we want to stand and walk in that condemnation, or we want to walk in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Now, does that does, should that diminish the, the fact that God is able to keep those things that are committed to Him? Absolutely not. Folks, when, I got, when, when God revealed that to me and I got genuinely born again at 18 years old, that's been, well, I'm 
fixing to be 41, so what, 23 years ago. Uh, you know, I've never been in a backslidden state, you know. Have I gone through trials and tribulations and struggles? Absolutely. But have I ever turned my back on God and walked away from Him and, and not served Him? Never. And so, I don't have to believe in quote-unquote once saved, always saved, to be once saved, always saved. Do you hear what I'm saying? I don't have to believe in unconditional eternal security to do that. Matter of fact, not believing that is what has kept me saved. Why? Because it's kept me committed to God. It's kept me praying. It's kept me faithful to Him. It's kept me seeking His face. Why? Because I'm dependent upon Jesus for my salvation. I'm not uh, dependent upon some arbitrary one-act play or some Christian mantra that suddenly cut me off just a little slice of salvation salvation that I poke in my pocket and I've got some some magic coin now that just suddenly gets me there and I don't have to, to, to continue to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Knowing what I know is what keeps me saved because it, knowing what I know keeps me knowing who I know and walking in faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That word separate literally means to remove us from the place of influence or to depart from something. And so, uh, to separate, it means, it's korizo in, in the Greek, and it means literally to, to remove us from that place of influence or depart from something. And what's interesting about that word is that it's a word used in the New Testament in regards to separation and divorce. And if you'll look, in the, if you'll, you'll look into a maybe a uh, Vine's expository uh, uh, teaching on New Testament words or something like that, what you'll find is almost every time that that word separate is used, or that korizo in the Greek, it's almost exclusively used in regards to describing uh, uh, marriage and divorce. And so, who can who can separate us? Who can remove us from that place? Who can take us from that place of influence, or, or uh, to, from that part depart from something? And folks, listen. Because that word is used commonly in the New Testament regarding divorcement from marriage, literally, we got to come to that place where proper interpretation would demand that we examine how it's used in those contexts. And so, I want you to look for just a second. This is scripture we, we've talked about in, in Romans and I think it bears going back to and it's out of Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 through 32. Ephesians 5 25 through 32. Good to, if you're joining us right now so I noticed that we got some logging in. Uh, Scotty and uh, uh, my brother right there, Iron City guy from, uh, from Virginia. We are in the 35th verse of Romans. So let you get turned there with us. And so, but I'm going to look at, I want to read to you Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. And it says this, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, glorious, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives even as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his mother and father and shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be to be one flesh. Then verse 32 really kind of gives us the, 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 the answer to that. It says, This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so, folks, that verse 32 there really kind of establishes that the human relationship of marriage is a type of our relationship with Christ Jesus. And so there's certain criteria, literally, it gives us right there in those verses in Ephesians, that are given which are meant to govern that relationship of marriage and thus our relationship with Christ. Number one, it says, husbands, love your wives. Love them how? As Christ loved the church. And so, this love, what it did, it, it produced the action of giving himself for it. And so he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That was the example that, that God, for God so loved the world that he what? 
He gave himself for it. So he presented that picture. He said, listen, I'm going to give you the example of, of laying down your life, of presenting your, 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 your life and, and laying it down for your, for your bride or, or for your church in, in his case. And so what that does, it, it produces the action. If I love, I should give. I should lay down my life for it. And the second thing that that love does, it provides an opportunity for cleansing and for sanctification. We talked about this through our studies from chapter 1 on through. That God not only wants to justify, but if we're really justified, we're going to begin to move into the realm of sanctification. Not only having that, 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 that imparted righteousness, but walking in the benefits and allowing uh, to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus, on a, on a daily basis. And so, that He might, for this reason, present it to Himself a glorious church. And it's going to be a church that's devoid of spot or a blemish. Uh, in order so that we can walk in holiness towards Him. So we can see here that even in that, that picture of the marriage covenant, He's wanting holiness. He's wanting a fidelity that we've talked about many times here to, to come out and to operate in our lives. And so to do that, we, we, we've got to give ourselves to it so that when we see that there is this love of Christ and it's designed to produce something, and what it's designed to produce is uh, 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 the expected manifestation of holiness in the one receiving that love. And so if I'm really a recipient of the love of God, there should be the fruit of holiness. You, you need to know that. If I'm, and write that down, if I'm receiving, walking in the benefits of His love, holiness is going to be evident in my life. If I say I love God, but I do not keep His commands, then the Word says that I'm a liar and the truth is not in me. But the only way I can walk in the commandments of God is in the holiness of God. Not in my self-righteousness or my own ability, but when I walk in, the, uh, walk in righteousness towards God, according to Romans, that therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's going to produce holiness. It's going to produce a sanctified life in me. So folks, listen, this is so, so very important that the sincere recipient of God's love should should always walk in righteousness towards God. And what I mean by being a sincere recipient of His love is having a devotion of faith to the finished work of the cross of Calvary. And that is putting your complete trust in the Lord Jesus. And I believe that that is something that God desires to, to work in us and through us and to, to really to, to completely purge us. Uh, but when we don't come to that place of saying, you know what, God, you're, you're doing that work in me, what happens is we back off and we just think, okay, I got saved and kind of live this, this life and be mundane and and not really press towards that mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus, described in Philippians chapter 3. But I, okay, I got my little piece of salvation, and so I never have to pursue holiness, I never have to pursue righteousness, I never have to demonstrate obedience and faithfulness. And so we've got to come back to that place of fidelity towards Him. And so what I want to, what I want to do is I want to backtrack just a little bit in Ephesians chapter 5 to verses 22 through 24. We've talked about husbands loving your wife and as Christ loved the church. But I want you to look at something that says... Prior to saying that, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and is the Savior of the body. Therefore, somebody say, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be subject unto their own husbands in everything. In how many things? In everything. And so we know when he's talking about that submission in everything that he tells us right there in verse 32. It's a great mystery, but he said, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so folks, listen, what parts of your life does he want to be submitted to him? Everything. 
What thought? Every thought. What deed? Every deed. Everything in submission to Him. And in that submission, that submission literally means this. You can put it down. Submission means to come under the voluntary control and obedience of another. That's what submission is. It means I'm voluntarily coming under the control and obedience to another. And folks, listen. In order to reap the benefits of His love, O-F, of His love, there must be a submission to His love. Okay, I want, to, I want to say that again because I don't want you to miss that. In order to reap the benefits of His love, there must be the submission to His love. Folks, listen, we can't receive the benefits of the love of God unless we're submitted to the love of God. And, the love, and to be submitted unto the love of God means that I'm walking obedience and faithfulness to it. Not just saying, you know what, God, I'm glad you so loved the world that you gave your son. And you know what, I'll see you later. But in the meantime, I want you to love me. I want you to have all these things for me. And not only that, but I want the benefits of those things to be made manifest in my life. Folks, that's not, that's not how it works. That's not even what the Scripture teaches. We, in order to benefit from His love or of His love, we've got to walk in His love and be obedient and submissive to His love. Folks, listen, just as a bride will never be able to experience the fullness of her relationship to her husband apart from coming literally under the, the voluntary control of His leadership or headship in her life, so the church will never experience the fullness of our relationship with Christ unless we come under the voluntary headship of Him in our lives. You hear me that? You hear what I'm saying there? As, as a wife... You will, you will never really be able to experience the full benefits of that marriage relationship un, unless you come under the voluntary leadership unto your husband. And you know, there's such a move uh, in society, and really, the, really with the 70s, with the, the quote-unquote the equal rights uh, movement, the feminist movement, and you know what, we don't need anyone and, and all these type of things. Listen, folks, it, is, it has opened up the floodgates and, and really a, a twisted thinking of how we should view God. And so instead of Christ Jesus becoming one that we have to demonstrate a constant fidelity to, that, that really that, that, that feminization has come in. And so God is just this one that's kind of there and we're kind of co-equal partners with Him. And, and you know, it's a give and take you know, type of thing. Folks, literally, it's not a give. He gave everything. But we've got to take and, and give our lives unto Him in completeness. And so we'll never be able to, uh, to really receive the full benefits of the love of God that we're talking about here in the 35th verse of Romans chapter 8 until we're walking in that voluntary submission unto Him. So what's happening is this picture that's being presented in Romans 8.35 is that of one offering a love that will not be separated or removed from its intent regardless of whether or not that love is reciprocated or realized or not. Okay, That's what the picture that he's painted. He, he's saying, listen, I'm giving my love and my love is not going to change. My heart is not going to change. My willingness is not going to change to reach you, regardless if you ever benefit from it or not. That's that's what Romans 8:35 uh, uh, through what is it through 39 is telling us. Listen, God's love is unchanging. Now, whether or not you benefit from it, whether or not you benefit in the way of salvation, or you benefit in the way of victory, listen, that's up to you. And that's only to be measured back to the degree of submission that you want to come to His will. Folks, listen, that's probably the toughest thing in marriages. And it's because it's the toughest thing in our relationship with Jesus. We want the benefits of marriage or our relationship with God, but we do not want to pay the price for those benefits. 
God, I love you, but I don't want to submit to, to prayer. I don't want to submit to reading the Word. I certainly don't want to submit to, 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 to being obedient to your commands, to go preach the gospel. I don't want those things, but I still, one day, I want to get to heaven. Folks, it'd be like a, a bride and groom uh, being joined in, in marriage at the altar in, in, the, in the priest or the preacher or the, the, or the, uh, or the, uh, uh, the, the, the rabbi saying, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss the bride. And the bride saying, you know what, dude? Thank you so much for giving me your name and the benefits of, of your bank account and access to all your assets. And I'll see you later. And, you know, Maybe one day I'll check in with you every once in a while. Folks, listen, that is much what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has done. We've kissed Him at the altar and we've walked away and we, we tell everybody, we want to show everybody our ring, so to speak. We want to show everybody our Christian t-shirt. We want to show everybody our bumper sticker. And we say, well, I'm married. And they say, well, where's your husband? Well, well he's somewhere. He, he's at home waiting on me. That he's gone to prepare a place for me. And one day I'm going to, I'm going to be back with him. One day I'm going to move back home. But in the meantime, I've got stuff to do. I've got my own career. I've got my own plan. That's what it would be like in the spirit is if, if, if the wife just walked away from the altar and said, you know what? I've got the benefits. Folks, listen, just as that would not work obviously in a human relationship, do we have the audacity to believe that that's going to work in our relationship with God? No, God says, I do. He says, I will. But there's got to be the responsibility of us walking in fidelity and not walking in a spiritual adultery towards those type of things. And so we, we get that. So which brings us really back to the analogy using the Word of God regarding Christ's love and the marriage covenant. And I want to give you this. And so here's our responsibility. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 10 through 15. 1 Corinthians 7 verses 10 through 15 says this. He says, To the married I give this command. He gives a what? He gives a command. And I want to stop right there and go back to what I said earlier. Now, how can we say that we love Him and that we do not keep His commandments? And so, are we married to Him when we come to Christ? Absolutely, we are. And so, He's, he's using this, this, this story and, uh, and this analogy once again. He said, to the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. So, Paul the Apostle said, listen, don't think this is just something I came up with. Uh, he said, this is what, what I'm telling you. This is a command from God. He said, to the married I give this command. A wife must not separate from her husband. So a wife must not separate from her husband. And it says in verse 11, but if she does. And so what's it saying? It's saying there is the possibility that she can. And so if you believe like I did at one point in my life in this unconditional eternal security or once saved, always saved, or the doctrine of perseverance that there's nothing you can do, you need to read your Bible like I had to finally. You know what? It says, you know what? A wife must not separate. That's not God's plan for you to separate. But if she does... And so it's, it's throwing out the possibility that, that somebody that was once married to Christ Jesus can become unmarried. And so, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled or repent and come back to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. In other words, the husband's position is not going to change. And that's exactly what we're talking about here in Romans 8.35. God says, who shall separate uh, you from the love of Christ? The husband's position will not change. The husband should not divorce his wife. He's not going to separate himself from her just as though Christ is not going to separate from her. But the wife, and you're going to look, and it says, and it says, and she, uh, but she must remain, uh, and the husband must not divorce himself from his wife. In verse 12, and to the rest of this I say, and not I, but the Lord. If, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce. So if, if, if you're willing to continue to hear the criteria of the Word of God, God's going to be long-suffering. 
He's not going to divorce himself from you. He's not going to care. He's going to continue to deal with you until you come back to that place of right relationship. And so his position should not and will not change or be altered in any way based upon our unbelief. Do you hear me? His position is not going to change based upon that. And it says this, it says in verse 13, And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him, for the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her unbelieving husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, in it, but as it is, they are, they are holy. But now look at verse 15. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. An unbelieving man or a woman is not bound in such circumstance. God has called us to live in peace. Folks, what this is presenting is really a picture of how the kingdom works. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Or what can sever the fidelity that He has towards us? Or what could in any way keep Jesus from keeping us uh, 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 from His end of the arrangement? Folks, listen. He will not be the one divorcing himself from us. Do you hear what I'm saying? But if the other party, which would be you or I or anybody that would be married to him, decides to leave or to walk away from our relationship with Christ Jesus, we have the right to do so. That's what he's saying. Because our submission to the benefits of his love and to this marriage are always voluntary. It is that voluntary submission. So folks, listen. This is so very important to get in your heart and your mind because it paints really the accurate picture of what it takes and means to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So many teach and so as a result many are deceived into thinking that, that listen, once that I get saved and then, uh, and then I cannot walk in submission to the directives of the Word of God and I can continue to reap the benefits of this, this born again life. But folks, listen, the, 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 the Word of God is emphatically in opposition to that erroneous teaching. His position or His love or His desire is unchanging. But it's us that He provides the free will and that voluntary submission whether or not we're going to walk in that. This is a great mystery. Ephesians 5.32 But I speak of Christ with the church. If the unbelieving wife desires to depart, let them depart. If they desire to, to leave this thing, listen, they're not bound by it. You're, you're no longer bound by that. My love for you is, is, is not going to bind you to that. My love for you is unchanging, but that does not change the fact that you have a free will of submission to me. And folks, in other words, listen, it says in, in Romans 5, 8, it says, God commended His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That Christ has, got, has given us that position. He loves us and it's unchanging. He's continuing to love us. He wants that, that unbelieving wife that would depart, that would be separated, that divorce, that would backslide, that would go back into a, a condition of, of infidelity and spiritual adultery and being lost once again, as James says, if, if anyone would depart from the faith, do you not know that one that converts them would save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins? That once they go, what his desire is, is that reconciliation. Because his love never changed. His position, his devotion, his, his fidelity has never changed. But because he commended his love for us, that even before we were married to him, that he died for us. In other words, folks, his love did not begin the day that we walked an aisle and knelt on an altar and gave our hearts to Jesus or prayed a sinner's prayer. That's not when God's love for us began. He has loved us from the foundations of the world before time began his devotion was there for us and so folks listen his love was and is not limited to those that love him back do you hear me and so he loves those who love him uh, uh, and he loves them who crucified him 
Do I need to say that again? God loves those that are going to be in heaven and God loves those that are going to be in hell. His love and His devotion is unchanging and unwavering based upon uh, our willingness to submit or not. And so His part is eternal, but to reap the benefits of His eternal love, there must be a submission and a fidelity to Him. If we're married to Him then uh, and, and, and then decide to depart because of our unbelief, then He allows us to depart and He is not bound by such circumstances to give us the benefits of that relationship. In other words, if you give your life to Jesus and you decide later to walk away, He's obligated to continue to love you. He is. He's obligated by His character. He's going to continue to love you. Uh, uh, but... He's also obligated by the law to let you depart from it because that is voluntary submission. Folks, listen. Even walking away from Him is no way. And I, need to, I want to really reinforce this. It will never change the way that He loves you. It will only change the way that His love is made manifest in your life. Do I need to say that? It's never going to change His love for you. But it's going to change the way that His love is made manifest in your life. And I want to say two things to you real quick. To, to the submitted... There's salvation. Do you hear me? To the submitted, there's salvation. To the separated, there's judgment. Do you hear me? To the submitted, there's salvation. To the separated, there's judgment. And so to the submitted, his, his love is going to produce salvation. To the separated, His love is going to produce judgment. And you know, that's, that's, that's really the, 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 the whole crux of the gospel. When I submit myself there and for unto Him and I, I become converted, times of refreshing are to come from the presence of the Lord. And that's Acts uh, 3.19, I believe. And so when we come to that place of submission to Him, there's going to be salvation. But when we come to the place of separation from Him, uh, we're going to find ourselves in judgment. Nothing's going to separate us from His love, but our lack of voluntary submission will separate Him from our love. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so when it says, who shall separate us from the love of God, it doesn't say, who shall separate God from our love. We're the ones that separate ourselves from the, God, from the, the love of God through our involuntary, our voluntary uh, 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 lack of submission unto His will. He will never separate Himself from you, but you can willingly separate yourself from Him. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, shall distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril of the sword. Folks, listen, what this is saying is that, really, and it's, count them up, there's seven common weapons that the enemy will always try to use against us in order to convince us that God's love has changed, or God does not love us. And he, he gives us those things. He gives us tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. And really, if you look at those, those are, time, those are really a progressive thing from tribulation all the way to, 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 to the sword, or from death itself. And so... What shall or who shall separate us? He's saying, listen, your, your, your viewpoint of God's love should not be affected by these seven things that will come upon you. First thing, tribulation. What is tribulation? It means times of affliction. And so even if your times of being afflicted are not going to change God's love towards you. And, and you should never think to yourself, listen, God must not love me because I'm going through times of affliction. Who shall separate you from the love of God? What about distress? What's interesting about that word distress, you know, we think about distress and we have that our English word that's derived from that, stress, or to be stressed out. Are you stressed out? You know what, you know what distress literally means here in the Greek? It means a narrow place. It means a narrow way. Even as Matthew 7 tells us that there's a narrow way that leads to life and few there be that find it. Listen, folks, just because the way is narrow doesn't, doesn't mean that God does not love us. 
You know, we say we know that God loves the world and He gave His Son, but there's a, a wide gate that leads to destruction. But the love of God will always lead us to a narrow place. Do I need to say that again? The love of God will always. If this, and listen, I want to. I want to put it this way: your submission to the love of God will always lead you to a narrow place. And if the, if, if, if the place that you're walking in is a wide place, a place filled with compromise, a place devoid of holiness and, and submission to Him and consecration unto Him, it's just this, this wide gate type of pastel pink mentality in regards to the blood of Jesus, you're not walking in the love of God. And you're, you're, you're walking in a voluntary rebellion against the benefits of His love. And so the, the love of God is going to bring us to that narrow place, but that narrow place doesn't say God doesn't love me. That narrow place, still yet, the love of God is in the narrow way. What about persecution or in times of opposition? How many of you have faced opposition? Folks, listen, I, I face opposition on a daily basis. Every single day I'm, I'm facing the opposition of the adversary. I face the opposition of, of unbelievers. I face opposition from, from believers. And so, that, but listen, because any opposition I got never changes my thinking in regards to whether or not God loves me. Does God love me? Uh, yes, He does. Am I being opposed? Yes. Am I being uh, pushed into a narrow way? Yeah. Am I going through times of tribulation or times of affliction? Absolutely. But does that change God's love? Absolutely not. God's love is not measured in those things. What about famine? What about going hungry? You know, I'm about... In, we're going through as a, as, a, as a ministry a period of uh, uh, fasting and prayer which is going to culminate uh, tomorrow. Uh, you know, I've been without food, so to speak, for about 13 days now. Does it change? Have I, have I felt hungry during that time? Not, not really. I can't say that I have. Uh, but you know what? Even if I went hungry for 40 days and it was an involuntary, this is what I'm what I'm doing fasting prayer. It's, it's voluntary. I'm voluntarily saying, you know what? I want the I want my flesh to come under subjection to the Spirit of God. If it means pushing away from a table, if it means coming out from the idolatry and the the consumption of those things upon my body, so I can consume upon myself the Spirit of God and His holiness and righteousness, so be it. But what if? What What about when you look at the television set and and they they put these sad commercials through through uh, feed the children? Or, 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 or help for Africa or hope for the, ch- the, the children or whatever else and you see that how many times do you say to yourself man how could God how, how, how could a loving God allow those folks listen it doesn't change that the starving children in Africa or in America or your starving family does not mean that God does not love it God's God's love is not measured by those things. What's going to separate me from the love of God? Is it going to be uh, going hungry? But what's interesting about that, it also means a scarcity of harvest. And so when it says famine, it, all, it not only means going hungry personally, but it means a scarcity of harvest. Or when you don't see things happen when or like you think. When things are not bearing the fruit. And so in a situation, maybe you're, you're praying for a situation. Or you're praying for, maybe you've got an unbelieving spouse. Maybe you, you're in a situation at work that's difficult. And you're not seeing it. There's a scarcity of harvest. Or there's a scarcity of the manifestation of the promise. Or maybe you've been going through something physical and you haven't seen the, the healing take place in the way that you think it should or when it should take place. And there's a scarcity of harvest. Folks, that does not say that God does not love you. That does not mean that God is not there. That does not mean that God has not showed up on the scene. It, it, it does not mean because God's love is not measured by things. What about nakedness or, 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 or not having the, the things that you need or being exposed? What about the times that, man, listen, you just feel like you're out there. You just feel like you're, you're naked and, 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 and you're exposed and, 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 and things are undone in your life? Folks, that does not determine the love of God. What about peril? What about when you're actually in danger? What about my, my, my 
pastor friends in Pakistan or in India or in Africa that, that have to suffer persecution? What about the ones that their children have been killed by, 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 uh, by, is, by radical Islamic marauders that have burned down their churches? Does that mean God doesn't love them? What about the Christians that are in China that, that are persecuted? They have to go underground. Does that mean that God does not love them? What about the, the, the thousands, tens of thousands of Christians that, that, were, uh, that were killed in Romania that were held in, in bondage because of the communist? Does that mean that God did not love them because they were in danger? What about when I go stand on, on a street corner in some foreign country? Does that mean that God does not love me? I know people that will say, you know what, don't put yourself in danger because, uh, uh, you know what, uh, something might happen to you. Well, what's going to, so what? Something may happen to me. Uh, you know what, I've been in dangerous situations. It doesn't change the love of God. I, I've been in difficult situations. It doesn't change the love of God. Well, what about the final thing that it says there in those seven things that the adversary will try to use to convince us that God does not love us? What about the sword? What about death itself? You know what? Well, what about what happened to such and such? They died in a plane crash or somebody killed them. Or Does that, does that change the love of God? Folks, listen. None of these things, none of these circumstances should be the barometer in which we measure the love of God. Unfortunately, that is what's crept into the church. You see it through this, this, this positive thinking gospel, this, this prosperity gospel. All these things want to measure the love of God. If you've got enough money, if you're quote-unquote blessed. Well, how are you doing? Well, I'm blessed and highly favored. Well, what about if you're broke? And what about if you're hated? What if you're broke and hated? Well, how are you doing? Man, I'm broke and hated. Does that change the love of God? Absolutely not. But look at this presentation, this, this really westernized uh, uh, false gospel that's being perpetuated. Listen, regardless of what I'm going through, regardless of what, I, uh, what I'm able to do or what I'm able to achieve, Regardless of any of those things, it does not change the love of God. And so because this false teaching has come out, it's, it's led many people astray and literally has caused them to have this misconception about what God means and how it's measured. And like we talked about in verse 32, your situation should never determine the love of God. That determination was settled once and for all when the Lord Jesus Christ hung and bled upon the cross of Calvary and suffered that, that terrible death. Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution, not famine, not nakedness, not peril, nor sword. None of those things are the barometer. None of those things are what measures the love of God. The love of God was measured when the hands of Jesus were pierced. Paul was making, literally folks, the point that we've got to continue to see and to know that regardless of what we're having to endure, that the love of God is in no way diminished. It transcends anything. Do I need to say anything? Anything that may come upon us. Anything that we have to endure. Anything that we see. The love of God transcends those things. Once we begin to measure those things by broken relationships or unanswered prayer or circumstances or difficulty or the, the lack of finances. Folks, listen, anytime we begin to measure those things, what we've done is we have separated ourselves. We have departed from the faith and we've become an unbeliever. Why? Because we begin to gauge those things upon what we see rather than what God has said. And so anything, the, the, anything that, that seeks to diminish the, the love of God based upon circumstance is the spirit of Antichrist. Because it separates you. It separates your love from God, not God's love from you. But folks, listen. But because people have literally wrongly been presented this have your best life now because God has such a wonderful plan for your life gospel, many people have literally turned to just blaspheming in the name of God when they face those seven things. There's, there's, 
uh, was a popular pastor back in the, the 80s and early 90s by the name of Carlton Pearson. Some of you have seen some of these things that, that, that the, he, he, he preached the gospel, he preached the word, and, you know, uh, God was blessing, had a church of thousands of people, had a television ministry, etc., etc. But, you know, he said one time that his grand, his grandparents who become alcoholics died. He was thinking about that and he turned on the television. He saw these, uh, these children starving in sub-Saharan Africa. And he said to himself, you know, listen, you know what, God, how could you send my grandparents that I love so much to hell just because they were alcoholics? How can these children... And he said this voice came to him and he said, why do you think that that's how I am? My love's not like that. I'm not going to send anyone to hell. And so he began to preach this, this false gospel of the doctrine of inclusion that everybody saved, that God loves everyone. Folks, listen, that is a doctrine of devils. That is a lie straight from the pits of hell. But think about it. We'll look at a Carlton Pearson or somebody that would teach that type of erroneous gospel. Like, And really all that, all that is is a unity, uh, like Reverend Moon or someone else that would preach that type of thing. But how much of that has slipped into us? How much is that has slipped into what you thought was orthodoxy? That slipped into your relationship when, when, when things are going good, man, you're excited, you're loving God, you're praising Jesus, and when things are not, people know it because your head's down. Well, well what's going on? Uh, you, are, are you going? Well, yeah, just some bad things happen. So where's your praise at? Where's your where's your thankfulness at? Where's the love of God made manifest? What happened? It, it was based upon those seven things. So what you're saying is the love of God made manifest in your life is always going to be dependent upon those seven tools that the adversary used rather than the tool that God used, which was the cross. Do you hear me? The tool that God used to demonstrate and to, to crank down on His love was the cross of Calvary, not those things that the adversary does. Folks, listen. God doesn't have a wonderful plan for your life. Do you hear me? I want to say that again. And some of you are cringing. God does not have a wonderful plan for your life. God has a wonderful plan for your death. Do I need to say that again? God does not have a wonderful plan for your life. God's got a wonderful plan for your death. Why do I say that? Because Matthew 10, 38 and 39 says this, He that takes not up his cross and follows me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life will lose it, but he that loses his life will Find it. God has got to, got a wonderful plan, not for your increase, but for your decrease, so that He might increase. What we want is God to bless our life, and God, what God is saying, listen, you've got to die to yourself, not live to yourself. Do you hear what I'm saying? And what we want to present that God's got this wonderful plan for your life. No, God, God saw my life, and God saw that it was in ruin, and so He wants my life to die, so that His life. Folks, listen, we talk about Galatians 2.20 all the time, that, that I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but not I that live, but it's Christ that lives. Now think about that. And the life that I now live, I live by the love of God, through the love of God, because of the love of God, who Christ Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. And so quit saying to yourself, God's got a wonderful... Quit going out and witnessing and saying, you've got to come to Jesus because he's got a wonderful plan for your life. Folks, that is a lie. That is, that is deception. You need to go witness and say, listen, God, God has got a, a wonderful plan for your death. The devil has got a deceptive plan for your life that's going to lead you to death, hell, and destruction. But God's got a wonderful plan that you can decrease, that he can increase. Now, that don't sound too popular. That don't sound uh, 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 something that somebody's going to jump on. No, it's narrow. It's a narrow way that leads to life and few there be that find it. Folks, listen. The cross that we are instructed to take up daily 
is not an instrument of comfort. Do you hear me? The cross that we're instructed to take up daily is not an instrument of comfort. It's not this glistening gold-plated charm fashioned into a piece of jewelry and hung on our, our, our necks or pierced into our ears. It's an instrument of execution that condemns everything that's in our flesh that would be contrary to His righteousness. Folks, listen. The only people who can truly know the love of God are dead people. Do I need to say that again? The, the only people that can truly know and walk in the manifestation of the love of God are dead people. You can die to self-righteousness and self-gratification now and know the love of God, or you continue in those things and face His judgment on that day and know it. You hear me? Folks, even those who reject Him are, cast in, are eventually going to be cast in a lake of fire will know the love of God. You know why they'll know it? Because it's appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. Because God is love, all those who will stand before Him in judgment will once and for all be stripped of their unrighteous definitions of what love is. you hear me? Even those that are cast in the lake of fire that thought that the love of God was, you know what, I can just do what I want to and God owes me this. They're going to be stripped of that lie. They're going to be stripped of that God's got a wonderful plan for your life mentality once and for all. And they're going to look into the face of the one that not just does love, but the one that is love. And so they're going to know the love of God. They're going to see the love of God. And they're going to see that the love of God demands holiness. They're going to experience that. And for once of, uh, once in their life, the love of God is going to be made manifested. It, it, it's, it's not going to be manifested in their creature comfort, but rather it's going to be manifested in the nail-scarred hands that every eye is going to have to see and behold. That's where the love of God is going to be made manifest. Folks, listen. Who can separate us from the love of God? Nothing and no one. But who can separate God from the love of man? Only us in our lack of submission and obedience to Him. And so, folks, if, you, if they desire, if you desire to depart, let them depart. His love is not bound to save those who would reject its benefits. Verse 36, It is written, For your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Folks, as it is written, written where? That's somewhere else in the Scripture. There's something called the Law of First Reference. So let's go back. As it is written in the 44th Psalm. Psalms 44.22 is where it's written. Yes, for your sakes, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Folks, listen, if you'll read that passage of Scripture there in, in, in Psalms 44, 22, if you'll read it, you'll see that it describes really what it describes is God having done great things for His people, and then suddenly it seems that He's withdrawn His blessings or His benefits and protection from them. That's what it seems like. Folks, listen, God loves us. At times in your life, it may seem like God has withdrawn His protection from you. But what we can look at this and see why was he quoting this? Because Paul knew what verses 20 and 21 said before he quoted verse 22. It says this in verse 20. We have forgotten the name of our God and stretched out our hands to strange gods. Shall not God search us out then? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Folks, listen. If we say to ourselves we're killed all the day long, we're counted as sheep for the slaughter, you know, sometimes we think, oh, I'm just such a martyr. We think that's what he was talking about in this verse. Listen, as you, were, as you thought about this before we studied this today, I'm sure you had, a, a, you had the, the typical false representation of what this, we're counted as, uh, we're killed all the day long, we're counted as sheep for the slaughter. You thought, man, God, that's such a neat thing, I get to be, I've got, get to be that martyr for the kingdom. That's not what he's talking about whatsoever. He's talking about the love of God was shed abroad in your heart. God's benefits were there. But because we forgot the name of God and we stretched out our hands for, to strange gods, that God is now searching us out. That God is dealing with us. That there's, there's these calamities that are coming upon our life 
Not because of the love of God, but because of our lack of submission to the love of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so God allows these tribulations, these things to come into our life really for two reasons. Number one, to expose the leaven that's in our life. To expose those things that are in our life that are going to cause us not to walk in holiness and righteousness toward Him. And secondly, because of that, to draw us closer to Him. And so we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Why? Because we forgot the name of God. We forgot the benefits of God. We cease to be submitted to the will of God according to what it says right there in Psalms 44, 20 through 22. And as a result of that, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. We're that. And then He tells us that, that we can expect to go through these things as believers. Now, I want to, I want to read verses 37 through 39 altogether. And He says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him. And so, uh, through, through Christ Jesus who loved us, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor, nor powers, nor, nor things present, nor things to come, height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Folks, listen. What he's basically doing is just reiterating it. He says, listen, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And if I walk in the Spirit through Him, I'm not going to fulfill the, the, the lust of the flesh. If I'm in Him, if I continue to walk in fidelity in that relationship to Him, if through my voluntary submission I am more than a conqueror, I'm not going to be as that one that, that shakes their head and says, I'm just this poor person that's this, this lamb for the slaughter. I'm not going to allow these things to separate me from Him. For I'm persuaded because I do know His love, because I'm walking in holiness and righteousness and obedience unto Him, that neither death, not the sword, nor life, nor the things that present themselves, or the temptations of the flesh, the, 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 the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life, nor angels, nor, nor, nor fallen angels, what it's talking about, nor principalities, nor powers, nor, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, obstacles that I can't overcome, depths, the valley that I have to go through, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Folks, listen, what he's telling us at the end of that, in those, 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 those verses of Scripture, 35 through 39, he's saying, listen, I want to tell you that my love for you is unchanging. That my, my part of the bargain, my part of the relationship, my part of the covenant is unchanging. Now, whether or not you want to walk in fidelity to that is going to, is going to be the criteria of whether you're going to be able to reap the benefits of that. And my love can never be measured on the things that you go through. That my love is only measured through what my son Jesus has gone through. Folks, I hope you get that. And I hope it really, hope it, I really, I hope it opens your eyes to some things just as it had to open my eyes to some things to say, listen, I'm, there's such a requirement God puts upon me because of His love. Not apart from His love, but because of His love. Because He has continu- continuously inundated me. When He's continually bombarded me with the benefits of His love. Now, whether or not I want to walk in that, God has given me the voluntary choice to submit even as a wife. But listen, if I want to be an unbeliever and, and depart from that, He's not bound by it. He's not bound to give me the benefits of that. Folks, so we're totally out of time uh, today, but we got, to, we got through the, the, really the, the eighth chapter. We're going to dive into uh, chapter nine uh, tomorrow. And I can ter- encourage you to get back into that. Read, read those verses of Scripture. Say, God, I need to get a revelation and an understanding of what you're trying to speak to me in that and how that should produce holiness and righteousness. And listen, a, a steadfast obedience to the thing of God. Folks, I've got some advice for you, and I, I know it's going to work because I've seen it work in my life and many others. Get into God's Word, and God's Word will get into you.